This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. Hey, Chad, how are you? Doing all right. Winding down the weekend, getting ready for work again. How about you? I am mid-weekend. My, <laughs> my Sundays are kind of my Saturdays, and my Mondays are my Sundays. So I'm good. Life's good. I would really love having a Monday off. Yeah, it's like, great. It's just like get... a weird shift in attitude because, you know, we yeah. hate Mondays is a thing. Right. But if you have a Monday off, you can get all of your appointments and stuff that you need to get done yeah. done because doctors and banks and stuff are open on a Monday, not a Sunday. So it's been great. I highly recommend yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, the whole I hate Mondays thing is Michael's. Remember that. Don't, <laughs> don't steal it from him. Can't steal that. <laughs> love Mondays. Well, we have just a, a few introductory things to talk about. We have emails from Asha, Leslie, Melanie, and Christian. We have Facebook uh, messages and reviews and stuff from a couple of people who are on the other side of the world. And so I'm going to struggle through the, this pronunciation. I'm sorry if I get it wrong, but this is our best guess. We collaborated on this. We think it's Maya and Alana. So if we got that right, Man, virtual high five. But if not, please let us know how to pronounce it correctly. And thanks for reaching out on Facebook. Either way, thank you. A new Apple podcast review from Blake Choose 22. Bunch of Twitter. We've got Marta, Angel, Professor Zoom, TJ, Michelle, Jeanette, Mike, Bailey, Julian, Aaron, Leslie, Luke, Columbia America 76, Greg, and Dan. So thank you, all 40 of you, for reaching out on Twitter. <laughs> We did say that that's our, our best means of communication, and it is. So if you want to reach us, that's the, that's the best way. And then the, the last sort of talking point before we get to our actual episode discussions, we got some big news this week. And official, quote, question mark, uh, office podcast from Angela Kinsey and Jenna Fisher. That's uh, Angela and Pam in the show. They're besties in real life. They are making their own office podcast, and it's going to be called Office Ladies. Uh, I have an article pulled up from CNN. Jenna said, as we close in on the 15th anniversary of the show, it seemed like a great time to share our stories and behind the scenes trivia with fans. Besides talking about the office, you can also hear us chat a little about our lives, our target runs together and our friendship through the years. So, I mean, that sounds delightful. What do you think? That sounds so great. I mean, I know I'll be listening and it's, it's really neat that these people who were involved in the show are still wanting to be a part of the show, that they're still involved, interested and looking back on their time in the show. So I'm really excited to hear what they have to say. Yeah, Angela also added that The Office was such an amazing chapter of our lives, and it means so much to us that we get to share some of our memories of filming it with our audiences. So this is premiering October 16th. So kind of after we're, we're done with ours, it's like we're passing over the baton. So I'm looking forward to listening. I, I don't know what kind of stuff we're going to learn. I, th I think it'll be entertaining nonetheless. I, I think I'm most excited, honestly, to just hear the two of them having fun together. As much as I want to learn the office behind the scenes kind of stuff, I just want to hear these two people who I enjoy watching on screen uh, and witness their real life friendship off screen. Yeah, so we are looking forward to that. It is called Office Ladies, as he said, airing or starting in October. So keep an eye out on your platforms for that. Now, moving into the farm, we are, our, our first episode of discussion today, we do have a few things to say about this. Pretty interesting. This was meant to be a pilot for a spinoff TV show of the same name, starring Rain Wilson and the others seen in this episode, is a spinoff of, of The Office called The Farm, based on the lives of the Schrute family and their running of their various farms, I, I assume. 
unfortunately, it didn't make it past this pilot. NBC didn't pick up the pilot. So this is this is sort of our secluded view into what that show would have been. But it definitely looked interesting. I, I really enjoy this episode. So that would have been a very interesting show. Yeah, Paul Lieberstein was the showrunner for the show back in seasons five through eight, but he stepped down because he was going to be the showrunner for The Farm. But like you said, NBC did pass on it. Rain Wilson, had NBC taken up this pilot, would have only been in like half of season nine, which I mean, kind of thank goodness that didn't come to fruition because I think everybody's going to see that the arc for Dwight over the, the last few episodes is really satisfying. And as far as the non shrewd content in this episode, that was all filmed after NBC passed so that they could slip it into the show and make it seem like a normal episode of the show. So all the, the extra stuff that we're going to talk about that's not about Dwight was filmed after the fact. I will say, if you're listening to our podcast out of context and you haven't gone back and watched the show in a while, go watch The Farm with that knowledge in mind if you didn't already know that. And you'll see that there are some distinct differences in style. It's mm-hmm. um, It's a bit more cinematic almost to me it just feels a little bit towards the end of the episode a bit more dramatic and cinematic than the office uh which was kind of cool to see maybe how they would have taken that show or maybe that was just you know the pilot and and make it big but anyway the farm for the office aired march 14th 2013 directed and written by paul lieberstein so dwight's aunt shirley has passed away And now he and the Schrute family must gather to celebrate her life and to decide what to do with her farm. Meanwhile, back at the office, Todd Packer makes a surprise appearance at Dunder Mifflin Scranton and tries to make amends. And everybody else has to figure out, do we trust him or do we remain wary of this guy who has treated us so poorly in the past? Aunt Shirley, who we met just a couple of episodes ago, has died. Didn't get along with her, but she was entertaining. And Dwight arrives at work dressed for this funeral, and he's in a tux, black, fancy suit uh, with a mustard shirt underneath. Oh, wait. Sorry. I'm getting my outfits confused. He originally (laughs) arrives in a tux and and is later in a three-piece suit for the funeral with a mustard shirt underneath. And I have to say, I get why Shirley called him Big City Dwight, because everyone else at the funeral, except for Oscar and the Reverend, are wearing overalls and work clothes. But that's him paying respects. and, And we get to meet some of his siblings, which we did not know existed. We have Jeb and Fanny, Jeb being the brother, Fanny the sister, who are very different from Dwight. Not at all who I think I expected to be direct siblings of Dwight, but they have obviously moved on from Scranton, Pennsylvania and have changed because of it. But they do seem familial and particularly with Jeb close, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. It's very brotherly. The, the Jeb first shows up at the funeral or at the gravesite, really, and they start wrestling each other near the grave. It's like each is trying to force the other into the grave, and Jeb cries, "Uncle, uncle, uncle!" It kind of makes me wonder if this is somehow an additional custom of Shrew mourning as well. Like everything else is unusual about him, so why not make the the children or the nephews of the deceased? fight to get into the grave like it it just seems something that would fall in line with what they're talking about yeah it really would and i also think it's interesting to revisit something that dwight has said before this is back in season two i didn't actually confirm uh season three yeah from phyllis's wedding in season three dwight says the shroots have their own traditions we usually marry standing in our own graves it makes the funerals very romantic but the weddings are a bleak affair 
this must probably apply more to funerals that take place when the first spouse dies because I wouldn't call anything that we see here romantic, though I think a lot of it is really sweet until until we get to the shotgun part. But uh, yeah. a, a lot of this other stuff, I actually think it's a really touching, quaint kind of funeral. It's definitely shrewded. It's It's <laughs> odd. And as Oscar says, they are descriptive rather than sentimental. They sort of describe Shirley and her appearance and her status more than her personality. But then again, her personality wasn't much to speak to, so maybe they were doing the best they could. So we talked a little bit about Jeb Fanny, who I have to say, she's played by uh, Mahandra Delfino, whose performance I just love in this episode. I think she's just doing a really, really great job in this episode. Is a beautiful woman. It's noted that she's in the city. She has a son. She's a single mother. And she seems to be maybe the most quote-unquote normal of the three. She's just sort of <laughs> a regular person and you're like why are you in this family she's the only one that's not currently a farmer but dwight and jeb are both farmers and all of this sort of culminates at shirley's house they they hold a wake or a gathering back at at the house and they watch a video of shirley that she's left for them basically telling them how disappointed she is in all of them and how they've let the family farm sort of come to this come to nothing Shirley has died. And she says, all right, well, if all of you move back home, you can have the farm. And Dwight just almost passes out. He's so excited <laughs> and kind of overcome with this sense of responsibility. Now, the other two do not really want to do this at all. But Dwight is, this is everything he's wanted because Shirley's farm is so much bigger and better than his own. And, and it's mentioned that it's the biggest farm in the area. And she's respected by the neighbors and by the other community members for her successful farm. So Dwight is just beside himself. Fanny stands out because in addition to not being a farmer and just sort of being the city person of the family, she's it, it makes sense that she's also the one who's really just not into the shrewd traditions as much. The thing I mentioned earlier with the shotgun at the funeral, they have started their tradition of they make sure that their dead are really dead. And so Dwight grabs the shotgun and he fires into the casket to make sure that Shirley is really dead. And Fanny did try to stop this. She said, you know, we really don't need to do this. This is just kind of gruesome, honestly. Dwight does it anyway, and her son sort of cowers and hides in her legs. So Fanny's growth in this episode is sort of being a little bit more accepting of things as things progress. While they are spending time at Shirley's place, Dwight convinces everybody to stay at least a couple days, give things a try, see if this is maybe something we could get into together as brother and sister. And Fanny's son ends up helping with Dwight and he wakes up one morning and they go and they collect the eggs from the chickens and they milk the goat and his name's Cammy or Cameron. He doesn't really know anything about all of this. This is completely foreign to him. He doesn't know. He even asks, is that a cow? And it's obviously not a cow. It's a goat. And so Dwight makes fun of him a little bit, but really he's just sort of treating him like a person, like he would anybody. Dwight talk like that with anybody. <laughs> And even before that, when when Dwight and Cameron first interact with each other, Dwight reaches out his hand and real cordially says, hello, little man, haven't seen you in a few years. And Cameron sort of grabs it with his small little hand, not properly, and shakes it that way. And Dwight is just flabbergasted. So everything about his sister and about her son is just completely opposite of being a, quote, shrewd. So Dwight is sort of helping him to not only learn the shrewd customs, but also he's trying to be a little bit of a father figure to this kid. Oh, and he's such a city kid. I mean, he's 
adorable and he's wearing these little sweater vests and ties and just has the city haircut like he's such a it looks like he comes from money i mean it's just not a farming shrewd for sure but intelligent and is curious as to what dwight's doing and and seems eager to help so mm-hmm. we'll give him that now as you said dwight sort of indoctrines his his siblings back into the farming ways and he wants to do this through nostalgia he said that there's no stronger tool that he has than nostalgia i'm butchering the quote but there is no greater human weakness than nostalgia that's the one yes uh, except <laughs> except for the neck yeah second to the neck he decides to kind of put together the family band and they they all dress in plaid of course and sit on the front porch and they play their instruments and they're singing and it's a nice scene it's very nostalgic he hit the nail on the head and fanny is sitting there watching kind of singing along and as she watches, she sees Dwight throw something at the feet of this woman. Her name is Esther. She and her sisters and father sort of drove through the funeral earlier, sort of a drive through funeral, paid their respects in the truck and moved on. But Dwight was clearly interested in this woman, very beautiful. And she's in the family band now. They've, she's been invited over. And so we see Dwight throw something at Esther's feet. And We cut to a fanny talking head. She says, I forgot about this old custom. If a man is interested in courting a woman, he may throw the beaks of a crow at her. Then if she's interested in accepting the courtship, she has to destroy the beaks. And fanny watches as Esther crushes the beaks with her heel and sort of has this proud, like, oh, my brother is going to have a girlfriend, you know? (laughs) So that's happening. Dwight has, uh, I mean, the last romantic thing we saw, he was asking Angela not asking her out, asking for forever, really. It was a proposition, and and he he was declined. So this is the next step, and he wants a a relationship. It's it's really interesting that so soon he has set his sight on another woman in Esther, because that was literally the last episode, was moving on, right? And maybe that's the, the title of the episode is kind of telling, like everybody is trying to have to move on from their struggles and accept that certain things are happening and that they don't have control over certain things. And so Dwight is here moving on and he's he's making a smart move. We're going to find out that Esther's father, Henry, is a neighbor farmer and they have all kinds of business things that they could do together. It's it's almost like feuding, not not that they're feuding, but almost like feuding families marrying a child together as a as a symbol of unity, you know? But Esther is beautiful and Dwight can clearly be attracted to her. It's not out out there for that to happen. But in some capacity, Dwight has decided to move on from Angela. And that's the real thing to point out there. Finishing everything about Dwight and at least Fanny's son. During that scene when Cameron helps Dwight in the morning, Dwight sort of, not thoughtlessly, but without thinking, those, I, I put a distinguishing between using those two phrases. Uh, Dwight asked, didn't your father teach you anything? So Dwight is obviously affectionate towards his brother and his sister, but he hasn't really been involved in their lives because Cameron's response to this is, I never knew my father. I never met him. And Dwight makes a face at that point. And it's almost like, it's almost like he's resolving something or he understands something or accepts a role for Cameron. And so when they say goodbye later, 
Cameron actually properly shakes Dwight's hand this time, like an actual grasp, holding it onto it correctly. It's, it's almost like they've had a lesson on how to do it properly. Like Dwight said, okay, your father's not here. Sit down. Let me tell you about some things. First off, here's how you shake hands. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, talking with Fanny, Dwight says, you know, Cameron is going to stay the way he is, kind of poking fun if he doesn't get some farm time. And Fanny might have been fine with Cameron being the way he is earlier in the episode, but Dwight's has that nostalgia playing on her and being around family. She's maybe changed her mind a little bit and she agrees. All right. Let's give him some farm time. I don't know about you, but I got the feeling watching Cammie and Dwight shake hands and the kid looks Dwight in the eyes and kind of smirks and is like, yeah, you know, he like he clearly had a good time on this trip. Mm. And uh, Fanny is looking out the window of her car at the two of these family members kind of have this bonding moment. And she has this look like maybe her son might enjoy this more than she would. Mm hmm. And uh, man, he really seems to be bonding with Dwight and like the farm life. And maybe I need to stay for him. There's a bit of a bit of that intention, I think, that she's having as well. I think to really wrap up their storyline, the Shroots here, we see Jeb, Fanny and Dwight walking over Shirley's land. And Jeb says, this is a beast. Whoever's managing this thing is going to have a hell of a job. And Jeb and Fanny say, not it, not it. And Dwight super proudly says, it. Uh, he is ready to manage this thing. It's, hey, he would be a manager. Um, he's just so proud of the possibility or potential of this happening. I don't know if this means that the siblings are definitely in, but it does seem that way. And this is sort of that moment I was talking about that seems really cinematic is there's this music that swells in the background and Dwight seems so confident and really in his element. And the show rarely gets music at all. And when we do get it, I think it's always been music that the characters also hear. It's mm -hmm. in their world. I think this is the first time we've had music that they don't hear. Ooh, music lesson for everybody. Okay, so there's a musical phrase for exactly what you're talking about. There's diegetic music versus non-diegetic music. <laughs> diegetic music is music that takes place in the world that is happening that mm. the characters hear. Non-diegetic is just audience music. So we get it both ways in this episode. It, it's the same song both times. The first time is we get the family and friends singing da, 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 sons and daughters. Da, 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 yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that would be diegetic because they are making the music. It is obviously taking place in the world. But there at the end, this was clearly going to be the theme song or something for this TV show. And so we get the, the, the Decemberists version. That's the group who you originally sang the song at the end of the episode, that swelling moment you're talking about. And that is non-diegetic because it's just for us. But there's your music lesson, everybody. Yeah. And so that leads me to believe that had this series gotten picked up and, and taken off, that it would have had a different style a little bit than The Office. Um, it, it didn't seem very mockumentary-y. Unlike a lot of the other branches of this NBC franchise that has sort of taken over. That's sort of the farm part of the farm. I want to ask a quick question before we move on, if that's all right. Please. So would you have watched the show when it first aired? Would this pilot been enough to convince you to stick with it? Out of curiosity, yeah. And I really like the, well, specifically Fanny and her son, I think are really interesting. And I, and of course, loved White. So yeah, I mean, I, I would have at least given it a shot. 
you and I like pretty much everything that has spawned <laughs> off of The Office. So I would um, I would absolutely give it a shot. You? Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I so I've I've said this before. I didn't really watch The Office until college and. I don't remember when I would have watched the majority of the show. See, I, there was a point where I watched everything that was on Netflix, which would have just been like seven or eight seasons at that point, because mm-hmm. this didn't finish airing until 2013. And so I didn't watch this until a little bit or the last season until a little bit later. So I don't know if I would have been into it at first. And now that I've seen the full office show, I'm kind of glad <laughs> that the farm didn't happen mm-hmm. because of selfish, the office related reasons. Like, yes. can you, so the production number for this episode was the fifth episode of the season. I don't think it would have actually ever aired that early, but as I said earlier, at least I think we did, Rain Wilson was only slated originally for 13 episodes of the season and then he was going to be out. And so I can't imagine what season nine of the office would have looked like with Dwight gone. And how strange would it have been, considering Jim's storyline specifically, for Dwight to just all of a sudden up and leave the office, leave Dunder Mifflin behind, and then go farming, you know? Yeah. And obviously, he wouldn't have been doing both because he would have left the office. So I- I'm glad it didn't happen from that perspective. I think I probably would have watched. Like, if it existed now and we had a separate ending for the office because of things taking place differently, then I definitely would have watched it. But I'm I'm selfishly really thankful that it did not mm. come to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm trying to think. I was watching The Office in 2013, but I I'm sure I wasn't caught up. So mm-hmm. I think had I watched it at 2013 or in 2013, it might have spoiled things if I was watching it as it was airing and I was not mm-hmm. done with The Office yet. I would have said, "Why isn't he at Dunder Mifflin?" <laughs> right. I I think. I think I would have watched like seasons one through six, maybe in 2011 or 2012. And then I didn't get to the last two, three seasons until a year or so after, or maybe it was like right as the office was wrapping up that I finally watched the rest mm. of it. That that yeah. seems right to me because in, in college, my roommate and I, we were watching like a season or a, a, a series, a semester basically. And so the office would have been like our sophomore year, I right. think. Anyways, I was just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the other B plot here is Todd Packer, of course. So he waltzes on into the office and announces that he is in recovery. He's in AA and Narcotics Anonymous. And great, you know, good. He needs it, I'm sure. And um, he needed to come in here and apologize to everyone and make amends as part of his 12 step program. His apologies, however, are not great um they're not apologies at all he's just sort of insulting people and oh i'm sorry you're so fat i'm sorry i made fun of your breasts sorry guys you know it's just Mm -hmm. yeah he's doing the exact thing that he's apologizing for doing and he starts with pam he objectifies her breasts and and personifies her breasts and apologizes to them he moves on to phyllis and makes fun of her size he said that he's sorry for what he said to her face behind her back and in the form of drawings okay, now you're just adding insult to injury by giving her information that she didn't already know and didn't need and just, you're, you're still making fun of her. He apologizes to Meredith for sleeping with her. Meredith, of course, says, I am not sorry. That's fine. And he says, I am. That was rock bottom for me. So just <laughs> stop talking. But apparently that he's trying. He says, uh, the apologies are just half of it. I also want to make amends. So he got everyone cupcakes. And everyone is super happy to start 
accepting his apology because it's from this fancy cupcake place and they're pretty expensive for cupcakes individually. And people are, all right, great. Thanks. Thanks so much. But Pam has other thoughts. Pam says, you know, are we really going to be this quick to forgive this guy who's done so much to us over the years, who's been so crude, been so cruel, been so hateful, made us felt like we're terrible just by things he said to us. And the price that these cupcakes cost, is that really the price to buy our forgiveness after all that he's done? I mean, it's a valid point. It's kind of funny that everybody considers forgiving him just so that they can eat the cupcakes. <laughs> but she does manage to convince everybody, her and Phyllis really convince everybody, you know, it's not worth it. This is this is Packer we're talking about. We don't deserve to give, he doesn't deserve the satisfaction of us eating these cupcakes he's brought us. And so they hold off while Packer is there. And then he leaves. Now, before he leaves and before we reveal the next step, there was something that Packer said I wanted to ask about too. Obviously, his apologies are crap. And obviously, he's always been a crap person. <laughs> but when Pam points out what he's doing as far as the, the bad apologies go, he seems to me genuinely apologetic. And he frustratedly asks, why can't I just be nice? Truth is, I really like you guys. I really do. Do you think he's being honest in that moment? And yes, I think it's possible for him to be honest while still doing what he's about to do you know so so what do you, what do you think do you think he's he do you think he really likes these people that's a hard question and i had the same thought it's just like one moment that seems really genuine yeah i really like you guys i really do and he's he's yeah he's frustrated because he seems to want to be better you know mm -hmm. but i can't in good conscience say that he likes these people based on what he's about to do i don't mm -hmm. care how no, mm -mm. I, I, uh -uh. <laughs> I don't think he does. I think I considered it more in the first half of the episode. But when he reveals, he, he says, uh, as he's leaving the office, he steps up to his car, which features the same William Hung license plate as back in season three. And he tells us, I am on a 12-step program. I'm on step zero, which is just to have a crap load of fun. And he tells us he spent six hours removing the icing from the cupcakes, lacing them with a variety of drugs, laxatives, con uh, constipating drugs. Uh, some are legal, some are not. And he says, you, you, do, you don't get Todd Packer fired. You mess with him and this is what you get. And so until that, I think I, I believed him or had a greater chance of believing him when he said he liked everybody. But when he says, you don't fire the Pac-Man and expect to get away with it. It's like, yeah. if he's seeking revenge this heavily, I can't really say that he actually likes these people. And there's even something in his eyes. Like when he gives Clark the cupcake, you're a kid. Something tells me you'll like this one. <laughs> no, you're being vengeful. So everyone the next day is a mess. Some <laughs> combination of hungover, not having slept, and who knows what they did last night. Right, because they ate them after Packer left. Right, yes, we should have mentioned that. Everyone but Pam <laughs> ate their cupcakes. Pam comes in the next morning. Morning, Aaron. Morning, Phyllis. And everyone's just sort of holding their heads, and Phyllis tells her essentially just to shut up. And, um, <laughs> guys, I've decided to eat my cupcake. You know what? It's just a cupcake. Packer's not here. I think it's okay. It's revealed then that he did lace the cupcakes. Everyone looks like garbage. They're all just, <laughs> every single person looks like they just had the worst night of their lives 
lots of people got high. Lots of people had diarrhea. Some people had both. So they were a mess. And Pam is so disappointed because maybe he was trying to be better. And oh, no, he's definitely not. So that's um, extremely... He could be arrested so hard for this, but... <laughs> yeah, he could. And he, he closes the episode by showing up at Athlete and giving cupcakes to Daryl and Jim. So they we don't see them eat it. Hopefully they know better than to eat it because Pam told us that she had talked to Jim and to her mother and a couple other people about whether it was right to eat these cupcakes as long as Packer didn't know about them. So hopefully Jim is wary enough <laughs> that he doesn't fall victim to this as well. Yeah. Now moving into funny moments, starting with the cold open. Dwight walks in and Aaron laughs because she says, you're, you're just like a ridiculous fancy clown. And he says, I'm dressed according to the Shroot Codes of Mourning. And Aaron's face immediately falls. And Pam says, oh, Dwight, I'm so sorry. Were you guys close? Dwight says, I would say that she raised me, but let's not kid each other. I raised myself. She was, however, the closest thing I had to a mother. And then he has a talking head. He says, my actual mother was very cold and distant. I'd say she was the closest thing I had to an aunt. <laughs> I love that turn of phrase there. <laughs> and he says he's going to either invite people of the office to the wedding by sprinkling red fertile dirt in your face, or I will ask you to keep a respectful distance during my time of grief with a dusting of black, slightly acidic soil. And it's totally just an excuse to throw dirt in his coworkers' faces <laughs> because nobody was going to get invited. Nobody was going to get red dirt. Oscar only got it. Because he out loud expressed how thankful he was that he was not getting invited to this thing. And Dwight is offended and says, okay, you're getting red dirt and throws it in his face. So Oscar is actually at the funeral. So that, yeah. that's funny. He honored his invitation. And then Jim gets an extra bad dose because <laughs> Dwight doesn't only throw black dirt in Jim's face, but he makes mud out of it. Yeah. So that's the cold open. <laughs> Some other moments with Dwight. We get to see lots of Dwight's relatives, including Zeke, who we saw not that long ago. And Zeke picks Dwight up at his house in a motorcycle with a sidecar, and neither guy wants to get in the sidecar. They both refuse, so they squeeze onto a one-seat motorcycle, <laughs> and no one's in the sidecar. <laughs> Just stubborn. And Dwight asks Moe, are you going? And Moe says, will there be ghosts there? <laughs> and so he's not going because he thinks there's going to be ghosts there. Then when... Dwight shows up at the funeral and Oscar's there. He says, what are you doing here? Oscar says, you invited me. You threw the red dirt in my face. And Dwight gets this like sly smile on his face. And he remembers. He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, yes. That was I fun. enjoyed throwing dirt. <laughs> uh, Dwight's brother, Jeb, is definitely still in touch with his farming roots. But in an untraditional way, he uh, gathers up some soil at the funeral and tastes it. And he says, ugh, crap soil. Nothing's going to grow here. Dwight says, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's a cemetery. Jeb says, yeah, well, I'm just saying it's garbage soil. That's all. Dwight, well, the only thing we're planting here is dead bodies. Jeb, it's fine because they're not going to grow. <laughs> Dwight says, well, thank God they're not because we don't want to make zombies. And Jeb says, good, I agree. But don't worry about it. You won't get any. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you didn't want zombies because you're not going to get any here. A man named Henry, who's a neighbor farmer, he's the father of Esther. He stops by the gravesite, and Esther tells us it was on the way to town because she needs yarn. So they're going to town to get Esther yarn. And Dwight says, well, if you can snap two chicken necks with a single motion, why use two motions to slaughter those chickens? <laughs> it's like, why? Why? What, why is that necessary? Can you not just say 
two birds with one stone. And Zeke in the background, Wild White is saying that. Did you see Zeke? He's like mouthing yeah, he's along. Like nodding. <laughs> he's yeah. like, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. So, classic I, phrase. I, yep, that's that's the one. <laughs> Henry also, as the funeral is happening, and Zeke said, uh, you know, oh, you were the aunt to my cousins. Most of your life, you were five four. Then you were five one. Dwight mentioned that she had black hair and then gray hair. When Henry pulls up, and he's like, has anyone mentioned her height? They nod. Land size? No one has. So Henry removes his hat. Stays in his truck, but removes his hat. <laughs> Surely, at 1,600 acres, you had the largest farm in the area, sharing borders with six other farms, including my own farm and your nephew Dwight's. And he nods and they drive off. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I really like this. It's acknowledging the passage of time and the change that takes place during that time. And it highlights her relationships and her accomplishments. And yeah, it's just like stating facts. But are those not facts to be proud of or to accurately just, I don't know. It, it, I just think it's a really sweet like thing. Not necessarily that I want people doing that at my funeral necessarily. But I, <laughs> I think it's sweet here. It's it's a nice little shrewd tradition. Yeah, I like it too. It's very odd, but yeah, it's nice. We learned that Jeb is a worm farmer. Uh, he He says he bought a quote worm farm. But apparently worm means something different out there. And so I just have to wonder, did he expect a farm with actual like wriggling worms everywhere? What did he think worm farm was that made him want to buy it? So he says, I'm now in the business of pain management or the smoking of pain management. So Dwight, if that wasn't clear enough to everybody, Dwight then has a talking head. He says, I can't stand the fact that Jeb is a pot farmer. He could have grown anything, anything in the world. He used to talk about growing a peanut-grape hybrid. One plant, one sandwich. Which sounds fantastic to me, so I need to get on that. But yeah, I, I'm just curious. A quick Google search shows me that worm farms are a thing, mm -hmm. and not the pot one. You can, I mean, you obviously don't grow worms, but you attract worms, and then you, it's like a, it's like a tiny worm zoo, <laughs> basically. You just invite them to stay there, and then you sell them for bait basically so maybe that's what he thought he was getting into but ultimately not his trade these days back at the office when todd packer comes in the door and immediately insults aaron clark who's never met todd says to pam who's this guy and pam just turns to him and shakes her head and bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sums him up <laughs> just bad uh, the, the full nostalgia quote that we mentioned earlier, oh, yeah. Dwight says, people underestimate the power of nostalgia. If baseball can use it to get people to care about that worthless sport, then I can use it to get my siblings to care about the farm. Nostalgia is truly one of the great human weaknesses, second only to the neck. First off, baseball's great. <laughs> Calm down. But second off, this is the quote that I had Rain Wilson say in the video he made for me when I met him a few months back. Uh, it was originally meant to be a promo for the podcast, which is why I chose the quote, because I thought it'd be funny and ironic considering what we're doing on the show that is based on nostalgia. Uh, but still, I, I have that video when he says nostalgia is truly one of the great human weaknesses. So I, I have video of him saying that on my phone. Yeah, that was so cool that he did that. It's really mm -hmm. neat. Regarding the Packer cupcakes, as soon as Packer leaves, everyone eats the cupcakes and Kevin bites into his and starts choking. And if you listen, if you really listen to the choking, it's some of the most disgusting sounding, like, it's really bad. Terrible mouth sounds. It's really gross. And he, it's long, and he looks very <laughs> uncomfortable, and Meredith goes to help him, and he 
pushes her into the file cabinet and like he does not want her help and he suffers <laughs> and recovers he says that was incredible and uh <laughs> takes another bite he i don't know if that was him just being eager to eat the cupcake or if that was the drugs already <laughs> doing their thing yeah i don't know if it's a health problem or <laughs> a result of like fast acting drugs on the cupcake or right. if it's just how he normally eats cupcakes <laughs> regardless of anything else i don't know but it didn't stop him no. While he was trying to get distracted from the cupcake, though, while Packer was still there, Angela says, Kevin, you can do this. And he's like laying on his desk, just with a cupcake right in front of it, trying to resist. And he says, you don't know that. <laughs> and Pam comes over and says, Kevin, um, let's think of something to distract us. Uh, like, like, like the movie Skyfall. You, you loved the movie Skyfall, right? And says, uh-huh. Kevin says, James Bond was a spy. <laughs> Kevin says, yes, he was a good spy. Kevin says, yeah, he was the best. James Bond would love this cupcake. <laughs> it's so funny. I love Skyfall, too. And Aaron builds a little, a little tent around her cupcake so she doesn't have to stare at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Creed, we learn, has quite a gift when Pam is, is contesting everyone and saying, no, we, we, we can't just give in and, and eat these cupcakes. We can't let him buy our forgiveness with cupcakes. He was awful to us, and he still is. How much is a cupcake? Two fifty? Is that the price of our dignity? And Creed says, actually, it's, it's three seventy five a cupcake and three sixty seven if you buy a dozen. And we have a Creed talking head. He says, I never forget a number. Names in one ear and out the other. Places? Nope. Faces? That's rich. But numbers? I have a gift. I guess that's why I'm an accountant. <laughs> uh, Still maybe? doesn't know. No. <laughs> Still. Quabity uh, Assurance. assurance. <laughs> Everybody talks through exactly what effects they had from the cupcakes. Phyllis brought out her old dolls and played with them on the living room floor. And then she ordered 10 American Girl outfits online, which she said cost thousands of dollars. Uh, Nellie says consider yourself lucky i have the toilet stanley said i did too clark said i went christmas caroling in march and i fertilized some bushes along the way so not my best night but uh not my worst night yeah <laughs> and andy has a fantastic one as well this one always makes me laugh like in these last few episodes you're looking for some good things about andy and i like this moment <laughs> he denies that anything really happened to him but we get sort of a flashback where it cuts to him and Kevin arm wrestling. They're both kind of disheveled. And then Andy asks Kevin, well, what happened to you last night? And Kevin gets defensive. He says, no, why would you ask me? I, I don't know. And, and they both kind of hem and haw. But the, the flashback, Andy is, is spinning plates like records and Kevin's dancing. I mean, they're clearly so high. <laughs> and they are eventually sitting on the conference room table, touching each other's faces and just like, I mean, whatever they got drugged with, it was clearly the same thing. So I guess that's good <laughs> that they had that experience <laughs> together at least, but they both looked absolutely miserable and still kind of out of it the next day. Yeah. We see them like holding each other and crying as well. And then they try on each other's clothes yes. <laughs> and then Kevin passes out on the floor and Andy's wearing Kevin's oversized clothes and is just like dancing around him as he's on the floor. It's so great. I, I think that's so funny. Yeah. And now after everybody has shared what effects they experienced from the cupcakes, Pam says, okay, well, I guess I'm going to throw mine out. And so she reaches for the trash can with her cupcake and Kevin walks over and stops her and takes it from her. And Pam's like, Kevin, what are you, why are you, and he says, I know Pam, 
I know. Trust me. It's it's okay. What is he, what, what's exactly that he says? He says, I, I understand, Pam. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and so whatever the effects were, he thinks it's worth it for just one more cupcake. But he doesn't know what he's going to get next. It's it's a Russian roulette of cupcakes. He could get anything. <laughs> for him, it's just about the cupcake itself. The yeah. effects are worth it, I guess. Yeah. Even though he's he's expressed disdain for cupcakes kind of recently, I think. Oh, yes, because they're just... Like, I think that was this season when he said they're just, they're just mini versions of cakes. But if you don't have a cake, I guess these will do. Yeah. No deleted scenes for this episode, which was interesting. And the first time we've not had any ever, maybe? So my discussion question is, what do you think Dwight's relationship is like with his siblings? Um, we get a little bit of insight, especially with Jeb, but go into that a little bit. Uh, as far as, like, day-to-day, up to this point, where they haven't had reason to gather together, I, I, I can't imagine that they're in super close contact, maybe... Maybe Jeb and Dwight call each other on the phone every once in a while to talk about farming or something, and Dwight expresses his distaste for exactly what Jeb is farming. Uh, I don't. I I really can't see any interaction between them aside from phone calls. But I'd like to think that they keep in regular touch with each other because of how easily they fall back into the the sibling relationship. There's even a scene we already mentioned the scene where Jeb and Dwight are wrestling at the gravesite, but then there's later when Dwight is trying to convince Fanny to just stay for a couple nights, try it out, see if this is something you'd be into, and he does this whole five, four, three, say say yes on one, and so like that whole countdown that he's done before, um, he does it on her, and she says it doesn't work, and then he playfully does it in French because he knew it would work on her, and sure enough, it works on her. And she's so, fancy, and she speaks French. Yeah, so they they know each other, even if they don't keep in frequent contact, and I'd like to think that every once in a while they talk on the phone or something just to maintain that relationship. Yeah, that was a scene I was going to reference as well with the countdown, because the way that she was laughing was very like familial and... and like maybe that was some inside joke or something. Uh, so I feel like at least as kids, they were probably, you know, very close. And then you move and you sort of lose contact or as, as close of contact as you used to have. But I think it's a good relationship, if not strong. Yeah. Well, going into our next episode, we are talking about promos. It aired on April 4th of 2013, was directed by Jennifer Salata. And written by Tim McAuliffe. Jennifer Salata, that's a name we haven't uh, heard in a while. <laughs> yeah, I think, I want to say she's like co-showrunner with Greg Daniels at this point in the show. I'll look mm. it up while you read your summary. Um, but uh, yeah, we haven't heard her in a while. The first promos for the documentary, The Office and American Workplace, are being released. The office watches in excitement, then in shock, as they realize the extent to which the camera crew captured intimate details of their lives. Dwight faces his first challenge in his relationship with Esther, and Pam sees Brian for the first time since their lunch on Valentine's Day. Okay, so looking it up, the last anything we've seen from Jen Salata was actually season six. She wrote Mm -hmm. Saber. That was the last episode she wrote, and the last episode she directed was The Promotion, which was also season six. Mm -hmm. Um, The Office, season nine. Yeah, I'm not saying anything about her being showrunner. So maybe she Mm -hmm. wasn't showrunner at this point, but she did return to the show. Uh, which is pretty cool because she was showrunner for a while with Paul Lieberstein. Talking about this episode, 
Oscar's the one who finds a promo and they watch it and everybody enjoys it and they all think they're super cool because, hey, we're broadcasting uh, soon. We're going to be on TV. Isn't this neat? And then as they deal with their newfound fame or whatever you want to call it, the, the thought of fame, uh, Oscar finds another promo that is for the Danish version of the program. So this is going to be broadcast worldwide in some capacity. And in this promo, they find that more was filmed and is going to be broadcast than they realized. So things that they thought were private, obviously we as audience members knew that they weren't private, but they as people on the show did not know that. And so that's a revelation and it's a tough pill for them to swallow. And they all start to sort of panic because obviously they've, they've all gone through some things that they don't want the general public or maybe not even the general public, but like people in their lives that they interact with all the time. They don't want them to know that. And if it's broadcast to the public, then now everybody close to them is going to know this too. Yeah. Specifically the main one that we see in the episode is the whole Angela Dwight, Oscar Senator love rectangle. (laughs) Because (laughs) um, We learned that the Senator didn't know that Angela cheated on him with Dwight. She never told him. The senator is not publicly outed, but when this documentary airs, he will be. And as for public appearances, it looks like he's married to a, you know, little blonde woman and they live a perfect, happy life. And it turns out that there's a bunch of dirty understuff going on. So they spend the episode figuring out what to do about that. Uh, They meet in the stairwell and blare music and, and try to figure out what to do about that and and they decide to call Robert and they basically tell him everything that's been going on so that he won't find out when it airs so there is a lot of stuff that has been caught on camera and everyone is really unhappy about it so the office actually suggests that Pam goes to see Brian because they all know that they are friends and she kind of hesitantly decides to do it she goes to his house and he seems excited to see her and self-conscious about the state of his house and he grabs the beers in the middle of the day which is interesting i mean he he seems (laughs) to be sort of in a state you know but before asking brian about how much footage the, the the crew got which was the point of her visit she asks him if he thinks that jim has changed and he's kind of surprised by the question and pam's not sure what to say and asks him if she's crazy and you know just just for questioning their relationship or questioning anything and he says no you're not crazy Um, and they eventually get to the point of the visit which is how much footage did you get and brian says well pretty much everything that even if they turned off their mic packs the crew had parabolic mics and they could pick up stuff from 100 yards away so that answers a lot of questions throughout the series but pam is mortified and gets defensive and mad and she says we basically had no privacy for 10 years and she storms out and um that's yeah there no one seems to be on board with this airing now lingering on the first question she asks brian about whether he thinks that jim has changed it's it's kind of awkward it's out of the blue she apologizes and she says you know i i I just want to know if i'm crazy because i i think that jim is so focused on his work now he's he's different than he used to be am i right or am i wrong brian says well you're not crazy and that doesn't make her feel better But then when she finds out exactly how much private stuff has been recorded, she she does get pissed. And 
anybody who had any worry that something was going to happen between Pam and Brian, I think this pretty much shuts that down. And it's not, unfortunately, it's not necessarily Brian's fault. I say, unfortunately, it's not like I wanted Pam and Brian to get to Brian to get together, but for Brian, it's unfortunate because this isn't his fault. It's the nature of the job. It, it, it's hard to be genuine friends with someone whose job it was to spy on you without you knowing. Right. And then for him over these years to never say anything about any of these private things that have happened during the course of their friendship, it's kind of a betrayal of trust. So in that respect, it is Brian's fault. But I mean, if he wanted to keep his job, he had to keep some things to himself. Like I said, sucks for him because of at least the friendship aspect of their relationship. But that's it's just it's a tough situation. But then later in the episode, she she does watch the promo by herself, um, the Danish one, and she she translates a Danish word that was used to describe her and Jim, and it translates to lovers, which makes her smile. I think that Pam realizes that she does know Jim well enough to to know that any private stuff regarding the two of them is going to be happy memories. And so she says, I hope you got sound on everything, and I would love a DVD of that. So Pam sort of has a little bit of a change of heart here, but Pam didn't have a whole lot of affairs and extra drama like that in the the course of this documentary how cool is it and pam talks about this a little bit later how cool is it that she through this documentary gets to watch herself fall in love yeah like that's crazy no one gets that opportunity that's so cool that's like a videographer for your life so mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome and so her saying yeah i wish i had a dvd of this you know she gets a once in a lifetime opportunity to to watch her and her husband fall in love So it's pretty cool, and she ends the episode feeling all right. One thing I did want to ask, when everyone's kind of huddled over Oscar's computer and they're watching the first promo, it says airing over, I forget the exact wording, but basically it's it's going to be shown over nine nights in one month, in May. So how much of the show are they showing? Not the whole series, clearly, because they can't fit all of that into nine nights. So I'd be curious as to how much they're actually showing. That is a good question. I wonder like what makes sense as far as grouping things together. Would they try and tell everybody's stories at the same time? Or would they like, does it say how long these episodes each are? Mm-mm. So I wonder if they're like each an hour, hour and a half long, maybe even two hours. I could see that. You never know. I mean, they've got 10 years of footage yeah. and then each episode is a year and they dedicate some time to everybody in each episode. Nine nine episodes, nine seasons, nine yeah. years, basically. Nine years, nine nine episodes. That makes sense. That would make sense. Cut a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it'd still be difficult, but who knows? Yeah. I would love for somebody to maybe cut the series into a nine part documentary. That'd be really Ooh, that'd be really yeah. cool. Listen, that'd be a huge project. Get on <laughs> <But> that. <laughs> that'd be cool. That'd be awesome. So the other plot for this episode really is is Dwight. So Dwight, as I mentioned, is having his first sort of relationship struggle with Esther. They are officially in a relationship and they are coming over to the office today, Esther and her father, to discuss sort of a stressor that Dwight is having. Dwight and Esther's father, Henry, was it, mm-hmm. are in a business decision now of renting a tractor together. And Dwight's feeling a little panicked because this is a bigger commitment than he wanted right off the bat. This is, you know, 
mixing business and, and your personal relationships, and it's a little much. He's discussing this with Clark, of all people, which is interesting, and Angela overhears and super sarcastically tells Dwight, oh, I'm so glad you found someone. I bet she has kind eyes. Her tone is menacing. So condescending. I mean, Angela clearly thinks that Esther is trash, not that she's ever met her, but she clearly thinks, oh, you know, maybe she's pulling the, the horse carriage. She's got to be ugly, right? She's a farmer. Leave it to say that Angela is shocked when she sees tall, gorgeous, blonde Esther walk through the door, who is not at all who she was picturing. Yeah, it's clear that Angela is jealous that Esther is with, with Dwight because it, it's, just, it's just like it was obvious that Kathy was cute last season, but Jim wouldn't admit it. And so Angela's not going to admit now that Esther is beautiful, too. She, she still has some sort of feeling or affection for Dwight, and so naturally any woman he brought in, she wasn't going to like. I think it's really interesting that Clark or that that Dwight asks Clark for advice on this situation regarding the tractor. They've got a better working relationship than expected, I guess. And I guess he sees Clark as maybe a younger person who's had more success with ladies than he has. And Jim isn't there for Dwight to talk to about this. So Clark is just sort of a natural second person. Or I, I would think Pam might have been a better second person, but still he talks with Clark about it. And, you know, it's it's talking with Clark. Clark goes with Dwight on this whole transaction, and he starts flirting with a couple of the other women who are there, I guess, Esther's sisters. And Clark, they, they flirt back with him, and they say, oh, you'd be a great person to buy an auger with. And so that, that sort of rings some warning bells for Clark. And he approaches Dwight and says, you know, I, I think that Esther is just trying to sweeten you up so that you will buy a tractor for her dad. And so Dwight finds some validity in this this argument and decides, okay, I will. I'm going to back off or back out of this. He says, you know, Esther's a 10 and the best I've ever done is Angela, who's a nine, and she rejected me. <laughs> Clark, funnily enough, says a Scranton nine, but yeah, point taken. <laughs> so Dwight does still think highly of Angela. He has no hard feelings towards her. He's just moved on. Uh, but then it's Esther that shows up and says, you know what? My father is going to be leasing the tractor on the weekends. And he's going to be adding all the miles on while you pay more of the money. So you need to get a deal that is based on miles or you need to walk. And so Dwight says, wait, so you're you're genuinely into me? You still want to continue our courtship? You don't care if I don't rent this tractor or buy this tractor with you or with your father? She says, what do you think I am, tractor bait? <laughs> and so they continue, and Dwight does reach an agreement with her father. And the last shot of the episode is the two of them riding on the tractor together off on the, the county road or whatever. And she lays her head on his shoulder, and it's really nice. Not so much for the people in traffic behind them, but for the two of them, they're at peace with each other. Anything else before maybe Jim and Daryl? Uh, the only thing I wanted to mention is a really small thing. We do get one interaction between Jim and Pam in this episode. They're talking on the phone at the start of the episode, and it's just a it's a really painful phone call. It's not painful, like emotional or discussing anything difficult or fighting or anything like that. But they are just struggling to have any sort of conversation. They don't know what to say. They they Pam says, oh, well, your your receptionist mentioned this. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that's happening today. That's cool. And so they, they just can't even have a normal conversation with each other right now. And that, that's all we get. So it makes you wonder sort of what's, what's going to be happening in these next couple episodes. Because the last time we interacted with them was in Moving On. And 
Pam told Jim, you know, this isn't what I want for our lives. I don't, I'm, I'm happy with our lives in Scranton. And Jim says, well, and here I am starting a business in Philadelphia. It just makes you wonder what, what's coming next. I mean, Brian seems to be out of the picture at this point. He, he seems to have ruined that, unfortunately. But Pam and Jim, we, we just are uncertain about what's going to happen with them next. Yeah, it sort of sounds like they haven't even discussed what Pam said last. Yeah. About this not being right for them and right for her. And it's like they just said, okay, well, we'll think of something else and then just never talked about it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're just sitting with that kind of on their hearts and like not not sure what to do with that. And they can't really converse until that's cleared, but it's not cleared. So here we sit. But in lighter gym things, sort of as a transition into funny moments, not quite a plot point, but kind of a plot point. Jim has a meeting with Ryan Howard today. No, not that Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard, the Phillies' first baseman. They, being Jim and Daryl, were supposed to be discussing partnering with Ryan and the firm. But Howard is only interested in discussing his screenplay that he has written called The Big Piece, which stars himself. It is a film in which humble baseball player Ryan Howard hits a home run into space, and the space dust returns and turns him into The Big Piece. So it's sort of a biopic sci-fi romance it's just everything you could possibly want and uh it is absolutely horrible but they're suckered into a table reading of the entire screenplay with the two of them and howard and and ryan howard will not let them half try either he can tell when they're faking it and when they are he makes them redo it and read the line do it really try and um Oh, he'll need the rights to Darth Vader as well, as he will be making an appearance in the film. So it's going to be very expensive, and it's just horrible, and he's not at all interested in not discussing his screenplay. <laughs> it's a very thoughtful script, too. He, he's even considered ad placements to help pay for some of the bigger special effects. So he says, together we will win this baseball game against the evil space Yankees. Eat fresh. He says, that'll pay for the exploding helicopter. <laughs> and another moment that really makes me laugh is when he says, they kiss. It is super emotional, like in Toy Story. <laughs> Toy Story, wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's emotional for sure, but that's very different than like romance, romance. <laughs> the cold open for this uh, episode. Oh, I, d- just, I just don't even want to talk about it. Uh, we, Without getting too graphic about it. <laughs> Phyllis looks like she's enjoying herself while listening to something at work. And Kevin says, oh, she's doing it again. And Pam explains that Phyllis has gotten into audiobooks recently and has been listening to Fifty Shades of Grey. And she starts to try to explain what it is. But then Clark, who's in the talking head with her, just comes out and says, it's porn. Fifty Shades of Grey is porn. And so they go to Andy about it, and he's really not much help. So Dwight says, I'll take care of it. And so he grabs a bucket of water, and he just douses her with it in the middle of the office. And she, she's upset at first. She says, "What's the, what the hell? But then she realizes, I guess, how into it she was getting and seems almost kind of apologetic uh, and sheepish. And then Andy takes her phone and says, you can have this back at the end of the day. And then we see Andy in his office um, enjoying it, too. <laughs> And we we close the cold open with him getting water dumped on him as well before we go to the opening credits. Yep. And that is all we'll say about that. <laughs> Clark and Dwight doing their relationship advice at the beginning, which Dwight, I thought he was being sarcastic the way he was asking, but he was truly just so curious. <laughs> he was so excited to ask Clark's opinion, but it came off as sarcasm, but it really wasn't. He says, Clark, I need your advice. I'm having some lady troubles. 
Clark says, what's your name? Esther Ruger. And Angela kind of gags in the background. And Dwight says, yeah, it lives on the neighboring farm, 85 acres. Well, we've been out about three times and there has been physicality. But the thing is, we were hanging out with our father and looking at a farm catalog. And now he wants to lease a tractor with me. What do you think? And Clark says, uh, <laughs> the same thing you think. <laughs> Dwight kind of nods like, yeah, that a long-term tractor lease is going to put pressure on a relationship. And Clark says, God, one of my buddies is going through the same thing right now. Something in the air. <laughs> He's trying. Yeah. But how can you relate to this? Like, <laughs> yeah, he, Not at all. Uh, when, when Clark tries to confront Dwight later because he suspects that Esther is trying to con him out of money, uh, he steals the pen out of Dwight's hand because he's about to sign the contract. And Dwight says, don't you cap that pen? Do not cap that pen. Do not. Oh, you capped it. Wow, you are serious. Okay, you've got two minutes, and then the cap comes off. <laughs> Capping the pen. It's a semi-permanent stop, yeah. When Esther's family arrives, Aaron, who appears totally unprompted to say this by Angela, but Angela seems to super enjoy saying it, Aaron comes in and says, Hey, Dwight, you have some guests? I think they're from the forest where we harvest our paper. <laughs> and Angela just, like, yes! Thank you. And <laughs> because the surely they're going to be, yeah, these like elvish people, but they are, you know, well, the men are average. The men are fine. All the women are stunning. <laughs> yeah, they, they are all very attractive. When Esther uh, reveals that, yeah, my father is trying to con you. You need to, you need to tell him you want to deal based on miles or he can just stick that tractor where the sun don't shine. And Dwight says, that Shady Grove, out by Willard's Pond. Yes, I know exactly the place. <laughs> and Esther agrees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right there. Kevin is apparently not looked upon super kindly in Denmark. In the Danish promo, they kind of do voiceovers for each character as they appear on screen. And Kevin asks, what's that word they said when they showed me? Skraldmont? What's that mean in Danish? Cool guy? And Oscar looks it up. He goes, oh, no, dumpster man. <laughs> Kevin goes, oh, cool superhero <laughs> <laughs> yes that's that's we what actually, they were saying we had a listener while well, we just mentioned maya um wrote in to say that the danish being spoken is not actually danish at all it's just sort of gibberish but the words written are danish so maybe they just totally butchered the danish or maybe they didn't try i don't know <laughs> yeah maybe it was somebody on set or in the writer's room who's like yeah i can read danish <laughs> <laughs> and they, they just did their best, and it's completely wrong. And it's wrong. They lied. <laughs> like, it's kind of like German, and it's not like German. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when Clark is trying to console Dwight after he they, they have decided that Esther is trying to cheat him, he says, hey, let's go out tonight and just score a couple fours, huh? I mean, won't that make you feel better? There, there are no games with fours. <laughs> it's very disrespectful, obviously, but I, I, it's, it's still <laughs> funny. There's no games. There's no games. When everyone's watching their promo and Kevin comes up and asks what they're watching, when he realizes, he says, whoa, you go to the bathroom for 45 minutes and everything changes. <laughs> 45 minutes? And then he has a talking head. He says, this is a documentary? I always thought we were like specimens in a human zoo, which given the amount of footage that they got, they kind of were, but... Kind of. <laughs> Andy is just obsessed with the online comments on the promo videos. He's, he's excited when someone comments on his banjo playing or when they say, you guys are killing it. Everything else, aside from the, the public reaction to these promos, is secondary to him. He doesn't care about all the private stuff. And really, 
Andy doesn't have a whole lot of private stuff to worry about. All, all the private stuff that happened in his life were antagonistic to him, like the the affairs and stuff like that. One guy says he's hot, <laughs> and he, he types out this long reply about, oh, I'm, I'm so glad that this commenter, the, the commenter's name is Bong Ripper. I'm so glad you enjoyed my work in the promo, and I enjoyed your comments, and I'm going to go read more comments now. Have a great day. And another person says, oh, he's not hot. He's gay. And he gets pissed and types his own comment, criticizing the name and calling him an idiot because, oh, you're, I'm not gay. So how, how much of an idiot are you? And I am hot, according to people on the site who have a brain. So never comment on this page again. And then someone named Texas Poon Tappa says he is butt. That's it. He is. You, you are butt. And that launches him into his hole. I'm about to lose my freaking mind with stuff that he's done in the past. So I guess now that Andy's single and feeling lonely, he's seeking validation from other places. And the online stuff is what seems to have connected with him at this point. Yeah, he is uh, feeling the stardom. He loves being the center of attention, which we always knew, but he cannot handle the negative attention. Toby has a similar well not similar at all but he is also excited to be on tv he says that it's a little ironic that i'm going to be on tv as a kind of a tv star because my last chad flunderman novel was based on a murder tv star the small scream and nelly says oh i do not care (laughs) (laughs) i don't care (laughs) oh goodness toby stanley says hurry pam talking about going to talk with brian he says i'm going to be or I need to know how much hellfire is going to rain down on me. Phyllis says, I thought Terry knew about Cynthia. And Stanley says, she does, but neither of them know about Lydia. Oh, <laughs> oh no, Stanley. Why? Why do you do this to yourself? But we didn't know about Lydia. We didn't know about so Lydia. So he just dug himself into a bigger hole. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> I want to read through the phone call that oscar and angela left for the senator (laughs) because it's really excellent we could act it if you wanted to oh excellent wonderful so leave a message at the beep hi Hi, honey oh no you you, oh uh, hi honey hey robert it's angela and oscar hey just a few quick things um, the documentary is going to be airing soon, and oh, you, you look so great in the promo. Oh, you look so handsome. Very presidential. Very much so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, hey, I, I get the sense you're going to be outed as gay. Yes. And I cheated on you with Dwight. Looks like they got it on film. I didn't tell you about it. I, 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 I think that's it. I think we're good. Done. Bye. Okay. Love you. God. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that Angela ended with love you, though. <laughs> yeah, it's just if somebody's For, listening, I guess. Yeah, I, or just have it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the habitual I love you. The most meaningful one. <laughs> oh, what a great phone call. And it's the first time in a long time that we've seen Angela and Oscar sort of on the same side. And uh, yeah. just... Oops, sorry about all this and yeah i don't know really funny yeah at least since leaving the birthday party in the last episode well true true yeah but so it wasn't uh, uh, it seems that after that they are now closer so that's good yeah aaron is worried about things that were caught on film she says i sneezed into my hands without using purell and then dipped into the candy jar did they film that nelly says my first week here i sneezed directly into the candy jar because i thought i'd get more I I thought I'd get more screen time than anyone as a villain. (laughs) 
<laughs> Nelly, we, we were talking about Andy and the online comments earlier. Turns out Nelly was Texas Poontappa on the video yes. site. Yeah. And when Andy makes a sort of video rebuttal to Texas Poontappa and another user named Jason Jason Jason, who is also critical of Andy, uh, he's playing the banjo. And she comments, you suck my nuts, <laughs> which really just like stresses Andy out. He's not even mad at this point. He's just like upset and on the verge of tears and she's just really enjoying it as she walks out of the office for the day it's her little bit of revenge that she can <laughs> give him for all of the just trouble that he's caused and then i think my last one um meredith says i am a very private person i show them when i want to show them who wants a taste and then she flashes the camera yet again and just says boob sauce okay thanks once again yep. meredith yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> we do have a few deleted scenes for this episode, starting with uh, Lucky Us and Meredith's talking head. She says, if you're watching the documentary, you know my deal. Hit me up at meredith at gpostmail.com or just come over and show a little class. Bring some Pringles. Pringles equal classy. Got it. Obviously. Come on. <laughs> Angela has a talking head. She says, oh, more celebrity. As if being the widely recognized wife of a senator isn't limelight enough. The other day at the grocery store, they opened up another register for me. <laughs> it is embarrassing. Yes, that Just only for happens you? for you. Only you, Angela, because you're you. <laughs> so special. A Toby talking head. Hi, Sasha. Look, your daddy's on TV. Your real daddy, not your mommy's boyfriend. Please go back to calling him Jamie. <laughs> oh, poor poor oh. Toby. And she would be, what, preteen at this point? Young teenager? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yep. Creed has a quote talking head. <laughs> he just stares wide eyed into the camera. Uh, he gets down right in front of the lens, and we, we see only his eyes from how close he is. And then he just shouts, Hello? Almost like he's looking for an audience literally inside the camera. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think he really understands what's going on. <laughs> the last talking head before a few more deleted scenes is Dwight. He says, When you're a farmer, you don't worry about media BS. It ain't going to change the price of beets. Only real BS is going to do that. Man, manure is so expensive these days. <laughs> and so Jim and Daryl are rehearsing their meeting with Ryan Howard, and Daryl is playing Ryan. Jim goes to shake his hand with his right hand, as, as you're supposed to, and Daryl slash Ryan says, How can I shake your right hand when I'm a lefty? Jim says, That doesn't make sense, because you bat lefty. Handshaking has nothing to do with it. So he says, so what can you do for a sports professional like me? I've already got a million endorsements. Jim says, my point is, with all these big endorsements, absolutely you're earning income. The opportunity we can offer is to build equity in a fast-growing company. So your days post-baseball could be better than your days on the field. He says, great, now tell me, who's the handsome African-American gentleman who works with you? I like his style. Jim says, oh, you must mean Colin. <laughs> and we look over at Jim's shoulder and we see Colin eating a bagel. It's his friend from college that he came up with the idea for athlete with. Uh, Daryl says, that's cold, Jim. Colin's not even in my universe. And he just sort of thumbs up Colin from across the room. <laughs> There's another scene of Dwight haggling for the tractor. And it looks like they finally come to an agreement. Not much on that one. No. And then it looks like Clark was talked into buying an auger after all. He yep. doesn't know exactly what it is until they tell him it's for post hole digging. Uh, he doesn't know how to fit in his car, though. 
And he drops it once. Then he tries securing it to a desk chair and towing that behind his car. But it basically just rubber bands all over the place and smashes into his back bumper and whatnot. I mean, he's not being very smart here. If, if he just laid down his back seats, it would fit easily. But that doesn't occur to him, it seems. Or just just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> just don't. And that's all the deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. Do you have a discussion topic for us today? I do. Something to ponder. Do you think the intent of the documentary was always more to explore the people and their and their lives and their relationships rather than the actual office and its daily goings on? And if that was always the goal, was it not made clear enough that their privacy might be compromised? Um, I think it was more about the relationships to begin with. I, th- I think that that was made clear. So I don't know exactly why they're surprised. I think that they just thought when they're in the office, you know, like when they can see the cameras, that's when they're being filmed. But they didn't Mm -hmm. think that there would be hidden stuff. And when their mics aren't on, you know, that does seem like an invasion. If my mic is off, that means I don't want to be listened to. So I think that that's really where the discrepancy was. I almost wonder if it was like the original intent of the documentary was to just literally be a documentary of this workplace but then they got there and they met michael scott Mm. they're like okay we've got to do more than just investigate this paper company because this guy exists yeah that's a good point (laughs) and so maybe that was the case and then you know if that wasn't the case and they really did just want to explore the people and what people at the average american workplace are like the people who are participating they had to they had to have signed some sort of contract uh in order to be on here and so maybe they just did read the fine print Hmm. like what kind of equipment they'll be using and it's just a sacrifice of being in the documentary in the first place yep with some privacy now we do have a few voicemails for today do you want to play those for us our first voicemail is from aaron hi guys my name is aaron um i just wanted to ask your opinion on a couple things um my first question was what did you think when you learned in the early seasons that Dwight is the best salesman in the company? Why do you think that Jim is not the best salesman? Because he's obviously more charming. Um, my personal theory is just dedication. I feel like probably Dwight uh, is just on call all the time. Uh, and Jim has more of a work-life balance. <clears throat> I also wondered who you thought is the best manager up to this point in the series that you've watched. Because um, they're all pretty bad um <laughs> uh and also i learned um that they're going uh jenna fisher and angela kinsey are going to be doing a podcast together about the office called office ladies and i wondered if you would be listening to it and maybe offering commentary on it too because they're going to be giving a lot of like behind the scenes information so uh i hope to play this and answer my questions thanks bye Okay, starting with your last point, we will not be offering commentary in the form of a podcast. Uh, I mean, we're still going to be around after we wrap discussion of the show, and we'll be on Twitter, and the Twitter page for the podcast will still exist and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure we will be listening, and we'll be talking about it in some capacity, at least on Twitter. So again, plug for our Twitter. If you want to talk office stuff with us there, we're always going to be talking office stuff because we did it before the podcast, too. So there's that. Now, as far as your first question about why Jim is not the best salesman, do you have any thoughts about that, Katie? I would tend to agree with Aaron. I mean, dedication, specifically at the start of the show, Jim did not 
loved his job. He didn't even like his job. That was a survival situation. And Dwight lived and breathed paper. So I think that was sort of the the reason. Um, he wanted to work his way up the ranks and Jim wanted out. Yeah, I 100% agree. It, it was all down to the effort put in. And Dwight put in a crap ton of effort because he loved the job and he loved the business and he, he loved trying to please Michael. And Jim was there because it was a job and yeah. because it turned into a pursuit for Pam. And then the second question we actually answered uh, last episode, mm-hmm. though you wouldn't have listened to that before <laughs> you sent your voicemail. So I'm sure you heard it last episode. Uh, reference episode 103 for that. Yeah, we both picked Michael, but you can yep. hear more discussion on that in episode 103. Our next voicemail is from Katie, a uh, different Katie. <laughs> Thanks for calling in Aaron here. I just wanted you to answer a question for me, so I, I called in. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe <laughs> I'll leave a voicemail next week. <laughs> no, we it's go. not me. Here's Katie. Hey, Chad and Katie. My name's also Katie, and I'm from Massachusetts. Um, my question for you is, when David Wallace found out that Michael and Holly were dating, he obviously had a problem with that, so he transferred Holly to Nashua. However, he didn't seem to have a problem with Andy and Aaron dating. Did he just not know, or is there another explanation for his double standard of managers dating other employees? Let me know your thoughts, and thanks for making the podcast. Bye. Okay, so I think that there's a pretty, I don't want to say obvious, because for me, it's an obvious answer. HR is a corporate position. Remember, Michael had his whole speech about how Toby's not a part of his own family because he got divorced and he's actually part of HR, which is corporate. So he's not a part of our family either. So HR is a corporate position. So there's a conflict of interest naturally there when HR dates somebody who is in a position of authority at the branch. So I think that's the main difference. And plus, also, it was Michael. And the initial issue was between Michael and Jan anyways. So Michael and Jan dated. That went poorly. So Michael and Holly started dating. David was like, no, we can't let this happen again. Aaron works reception. Reception. And Andy is manager. And yeah, you could say something about the manager dating somebody in the workplace. But I, it, because it's not a corporate position, neither of them, then I think, th- I think that's the main reason it's okay. Yeah, I think they are more on the same level. I wouldn't still recommend it, but, you know, in case they break up, which they just did, um, and it gets awkward, which it is, but I think it wasn't as big a problem when Michael was dating Jan, and then we all saw how that went. So, yeah, Holly, though working in the same office, is technically corporate and therefore a problem. Okay, so now let's go ahead and listen to a voicemail from... Sam from California. Hey, Chad and Katie. So just wondering, I'm Sam from California again. Uh, Just wondering, so what do you think Robert California said to Joe, Joe Bennett, um, to convince her to give up her job, a CEO job? Yeah, I just wanted to hear your input on this. Thank you. Please. Do you have any ideas, Katie? What do you think that Robert California said to Joe to make her move on from CEO and hand it over to him? I mean, only Robert California could uh, really have the right answer there. But I would imagine it's something like one of his many intimidating as heck one-on-ones. But Joe isn't an easily intimidated person. So 
it would have had to have been some of his weirdest, most intimidating stuff. Or, no, no, I'm going to stick with that. I don't know specifically <laughs> what that could have been, but, I mean, the guy could weasel his way into anything he wanted. I think intimidation could have been a factor, but part of me wants to say that he was just like, do you really want to be doing this kind of stuff for the mm, rest of your life? Like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't even want to do this. <laughs> like, I you will know, relieve like, you of this job. Yeah, yeah. Like play, play to her psychologically somehow, make her think that, you know, you, you've already got the money from this. Why do you need to put in all the work? Uh, I changed like, my answer to Chad's answer. Yeah. <laughs> like you go off, you enjoy retirement, you sit on the board. We'll still answer to you, but you know what? I'll, I'll take care of things for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do your work for you. You just yeah. get the benefits. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what's in my mind, at least. But who knows? Oh, yeah. It's that one, for sure. I take mine back. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to throw in one more voicemail that uh, we've held on to for a little bit. And we said we were going to mention it. Uh, and I, I forgot to add it to the doc. But we don't even have a name who this is from. But this is about the computer situation at Dunder Mifflin. Just a fun fact that I was curious if you know. You'll notice in the office whenever they're, like, watching something, like when they're watching the tape of Michael falling in the koi pond or when they're watching the trailer for, for like, season eight when the documentary is going to come out, then um, it's always on Oscar's computer. And all of the cast members had real computers, but the reason that they all watched on Oscars, his was the only one with working speakers. Yes. I had heard that, um, but I've, I'd forgotten that that was the case. So anytime, yeah, that somebody is playing a video with sound, it'll be on Oscar's computer. They all had internet, but not all had sound. Although in this episode, there was one moment when they, we, we cut around to a, different, a few different people's computers, and they're all watching the promo separately. And we hear audio then. So maybe since it wasn't a scene that was filmed with everybody at once, they could just put in the audio separately, you know? Mm -hmm. But when they needed audio live in the moment, it would make sense to just have it around one computer. So thank you. I don't know who you are because you didn't leave a name, but we appreciate the, the fun fact and hope everybody enjoyed that as well. And that's all for our voicemails. Thank you all for calling in and chatting with us. And that's it for the episode. That's the end of the official 104th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. Head over to Apple Podcasts where you can rate, review, and subscribe. That really helps us uh, get some more visibility to new listeners. We'd appreciate you heading over there to do that. You can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, like Katie and Aaron and Sam did and Mystery Caller, then you can call us at 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. If you have questions, if you have funny moments you want to share, or fun tidbits or anything else, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please try and keep your messages shorter than a minute and say your name so we can thank you by name. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And it is also me on Twitter at Chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, also Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins, and my other podcast is Cinescope, which you can find where podcasts can be found, and thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. 
If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker and bonus episodes, check out our Patreon page. Pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And I do want to say we have stickers that are going to be mailed out maybe this next week. Now is your last chance to sign up for that. And then after this month, the Patreon is not going to be available anymore. It is we have plans for it in some capacity, which we will share later. But right now, if you want that logo sticker, this is your last chance to sign up because there will be no more Patreon access after September, basically. Yeah. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 104 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 105 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season nine, Starmageddon and Paper Airplane. Bye. Bye. This is an American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mocking. Beloved. <laughs> beloved. For the first time. <laughs> Dearly beloved. <laughs> All of this kind of culminates at Fanny's house. I keep calling her Fanny. <laughs> However, these apologies are not. Sorry. Um, my. Office DVD case just like shattered into eight pieces and I didn't oh, no. even touch it. Okay, that's fine. Um <laughs> deal with that later.